This episode is brought to you by Sticky Reckonings. Every weight person and restaurant manager knows that the greatest scourge of their work satisfaction is jackasses who complain about their meal to get a free dessert. But second place goes to jerks who just run out on their tab without paying. Dine and dash teens and just cheap lowlifes who take up an hour of your time and table space on top of the food they eat only to skip out and leave the waitress and her boss to negotiate the final responsibility. But that's not a problem for restaurants who use sticky reckonings. It's the modern invoice accountability system developed from NSA and drone war technology. When that skunk wanders out the door saying, I just need to get my wallet out of the car, their check flies off the counter, fluttering above them wherever they go, eventually sticking to their back or face or legs until they eventually come back to pay and have their charges demagnetized. Sure, it seems impossible, but it's really quite simple. You only need to add a small amount of individually tinted radioactive barium in statistically safe doses to every serving. From that point, their bill will not allow the patron to move beyond a 40-foot perimeter without stalking them like a laser-guided smart bomb. And if someone enters your establishment covered in old dinner tallies, that's a sure sign you should get their credit card at the time of the order. And when you make your first purchase at their website, use the promo code RERED, one word, to try out their other products for cable bills, mortgage payments, and credit card statements. And thank you, Sticky Reckonings, for sponsoring the Rereading Wolf podcast. This episode is brought to you by the support of generous listeners just like you. You can learn how to be one of them at patreon.com slash rereadingwolf. And thank you, listener patrons, for supporting the Rereading Wolf podcast. Warning. The following discussion is deliberately riddled with spoilers and unhinged speculation on this nearly 40-year-old book. Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun. You can't read a Gene Wolfe story. You can only reread a Gene Wolfe story. Welcome to Rereading Wolf. We don't pretend that this is the first time you and we have read these books. We want to understand them in as much detail as possible, and that means considering the works as a whole. Hi, I'm James Wynn. And I'm Craig Brewer. Hey, Craig. Hello, sir. A lot of great input on the Thecla Feast chapter. Yep. Lots of busyness overall this week for a couple yeah. of years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started reading uh, The Land Across. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. Although um, now I have to get I have to do that. And then I also have to get the reader interviews out. So I have, <laughs> but they're all things I like to do. So it's hard. And you're only one chapter in. So that's true. That's right. You're, right. <laughs> you're still wide eyed and hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> on Reddit, Pentopsilus stopped listening to the podcast in the middle to leave a comment. He says, you refer to an apparent contradiction in Vodalus saying that the Alzaba was brought to earth by the Herodules, then saying that they will recognize anyone who's used it as an ally of the Megatherians. This becomes less of a problem if you think, as I do, that the substance used by the Autark to pass on his memories is not the Alzabo extract. In Citadel of the Autark, the old Autark specifically says that the compound works like the Alzabo extract, but is stronger. My theory is that the Alzabo was brought in at an earlier stage of development of the autarky, but was superseded by something that better achieved the desired effect. My suspicion is that the improved compound is derived from the Avern, but my reasons for thinking this are ludicrously tenuous and utterly indefensible. Those associated with the Megatherians were the only ones who kept using the Alzabo. 
Mm, I don't know, not bad, but Vodalus seems to be convinced that they are using the the Alzabo method. It might, it's not the same, perhaps, but they are using Alzabo. And I mean, he mentions too that it's something that the Hieroduels use, and they even know the the signs of someone having used it. So it seems like it's a similar kind of deal. Yeah. But yeah, so both of those groups having it, I maybe I'm just not sure what the purpose of having having it come from a different place or or a different version of the Alzabo would be. Well, I think the idea would be that. Well, hey, why is the autarky using the same stuff that the megatherians are passing out? But perhaps the difference between the megatherians and the Asadis could be a matter of dose. The Asadis only give it to the autark and no one else. The megatherians seem to be encouraging its use in a more liberal way. Hmm. If you think of the Alzabu as something evil that's being inflicted on someone, then the Yasadis torture the ruler and the Megatherians torture everyone else. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also the wolf will often do the kind of thing where, where there may be something that it's not inherently good or evil, but it's more the use to which it's put mm-hmm. that determines it. And maybe in this case, that's the way to think about the Alzabo, something that can be like a satanic version of the Eucharist, but it can also be something that actually leads to resurrection, right? right. I mean, it totally mm-hmm. depends on, on how you use it and immortality even. I mean, sure. being reborn. So yeah, to me, at least it seems like it depends on more on the use and not so much that the thing itself, even if it comes from an evil creature, to me at least, doesn't seem like it's marked by being used by the Megatherians as yeah. necessarily evil. Well, uh, Pantopsilus also says that he, quote, likes the idea that the Megatherians are supplying humans with Alzabo extract to try and induce some sort of loss of individuality. Later indications Mm. seem to be that this is not what actually becomes of most Alzabo users. But Mm. why would the Megatherians care if they wipe out countless human lives to potentially get their desired result? Um, Well, maybe Pantopsilus is saying that people don't really stay under the effect of the Alzabo long term. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, Thea mentions that by taking the Alzabo, it will cause mental confusion because she'll remember the same event from two different perspectives. So I think some of the effects are more permanent or at least long lasting. Could be. And yeah. honestly, too, what's weird about the way Thea describes that is remembering something from multiple perspectives might actually be more like the truth. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's might be more confusing, but it might also be, yeah, truer. I mean, yeah. you're starting to see, I mean, that's that's like we always talk about Wolf and, and the sort of seeing from one perspective. Whereas if you're able to have two perspectives operating or more at the same time, then you're more likely to really see what things are like. And then finally, Pentopsilus says, minor thing, but when Severian fell asleep at the end of this chapter, I was somehow reminded of Dante's habit of fainting at opportune moments in the Inferno (laughs) that removes him from various threats to his moral well-being. I just, I just like that. I, I had totally forgotten about that. It's been years <laughs> since I've read any Dante, but yeah, that's, that's really funny. That's cool. Also on Reddit, Michael Andre Drewsy thinks, quote, 
Good thing Thecla's seance did not include the revolutionary that was tormenting her when she took her own life. Imagine it, like a neutron bomb for the Vodalari. They thought they were ingesting a loyal member, but surprise, they caught her terminal disease demon. No, <laughs> it would be just one suicidal night for most. But Severian would have a real fight on his hands. My point being that the revolutionary was bound to Thecla and was there at her end, but it was not there for the feast. Using the demonology model, once its job was done, it went away. Now, Craig, I found this to be interesting because when we get to, not this chapter, but the next one, Severian's going to have a total identity confusion, and he's going to completely identify as Thecla. Uh -huh. And when he does, he says, my hands raise themselves like spiders to pluck out my eyes. Yep. And Jonas has to shake him to his senses and remind him who he is and that Thecla is dead. So I fear Severian has to keep Thecla in her little examination room in his mind, you know, distant from full identity, but not quite hidden. And maybe, you know, the experienced Elzabal users know how to keep the bride in her place, or maybe they <laughs> did lose a few Vodalari to self-blinding, you know, uh, Thea at least did not know the specific circumstances of her death and would not have been able to predict the effects. Well, remember too, the revolutionary works by basically making something inside of you that hates yourself take over, right? And get stronger yeah. and stronger. Or at least that's the metaphor. Yeah, that's, right? that's the metaphor they use. But she's also inside Severian who loves her and doesn't right. hate her, right? So now she's got, if you really think of their identities as merging in one way or another, she is no longer completely under the sway of the revolutionary mm -hmm. because Severian loves her and is right there too. And so, right. yeah, it's sort of like there, it, it counteracts it somehow, but no, he even says when he does it, he says, I knew what it was, you know, to be, to be afraid and to mm -hmm. die. Even right. So he, yeah, yeah. he has all the memories um, right up to, to her death and even what it was like. Yeah. So it's in there somehow. Well, Michael accepts that that happens in the text, but he says that the event, happens at the culmination of a brewing crisis. He says, there is context. To jump to the end, if I recall correctly, Severian is anguished that he failed to raise Thecla with the claw. Earlier than that statement, he's acknowledging that he had made her death possible, which she has conflicting thoughts on. She wanted his help, and she was tearing her eyes out in anguished possession. She is reacting to his discovery about the claw with an understandable panic or PTSD. It's not the presence of the revolutionary in Severian. It's repeating the behavior she learned under the heavy stick of the revolutionary. Yeah, I, I don't know, Craig. I, I guess we'll look at that chapter next time yeah, we'll have and to see, see what's what. It yeah. just seems simpler and more elegant to be like the fact that he loves her, cures mm. it somehow. But yeah, let's, we'll definitely have to think about that when we get there. On Facebook, Adrian DeForest says, I hadn't considered the possibility of Alzabo side effects. And he quotes the um, Bodolari going to the feast. I'm going to sink so far, you're not going to see me till winter. He says, I like to think this guy tries to maintain the personality he has consumed for as long as possible. And that's why this guy comes to these parties. And the armature who hopes they won't be eating another lesbian, he attends for sexual gratification from someone else's memories of men, and he's hoping that Goal won't be frustrated tonight. 
Also on Facebook, Nudis Magrudis says, Your talk of the Votilary watching Severian and the Megatherians wanting to flip him to their cause got me thinking, what if Votilus and Thea deliberately compromised Thecla with the express purpose of getting her sent to the Matichen Tower and ultimately killed? Once the Votilary recover her body and she's shared, they would all absorb her memories of Severian. Despite the short-lived nature of the Alzabo ritual, I submit the Megatherians could access these memories in the Votilari via their dream machine technology, which by its very nature would have to be able to access the subconscious. Uh, yeah, you weren't totally convinced by that, Craig. No, I I do like the idea, and I told him this on there. I'm like, I, I definitely think that there's a good connection to be made there. But the question I have is how much they would gain by just knowing about Severian and, and sort of getting that access to him. Now, maybe it's a lot, you know, it, it just all depends kind of on what kind of conspiracy is involved in them knowing that Severian's important from the future. It's just another one of those things that in order for it to really be meaningful depends a lot on what you think they could gain or, or how the, mm -hmm. the background conspiracy is set up about them knowing. And, and it could well be, it just, it seems like you gotta, you have to answer a few other questions before you can get to that one. Yeah. Of course, the Megatherians as walkers in time already know a lot about Severian, right? If they are, I mean, we think that they are. Well, I mean, if, somehow, if, if I mean, the, if the bride's in, uh, yeah, if Juturna is, they've got to be. They or they know about him, whether or not they actually can do the same thing is a question. Mm. But somehow they I mean, who knows? Maybe they've just been told. I mean, that's that's why I said it. it there's so many other questions I have first about what they think is useful about Severian in the first place or why they think he's important. Um, that that's that's what I'd want to know before that. But what I do like about that, though, is that it did remind me too, that we need to think when that Votilus now has a little bit more information about Severian as well. Next time we see Votilus with Severian, you know, so it's not just the Megatherians who now have more info about Severian, it's Votilus too. And so next time Votilus pops up, I need to remember that, yeah, he knows a little bit more about Sev from, mm -hmm. from Thecla's perspective too. But yeah, yeah, I, I'm not saying it's telling nudist i'm like i'm not i'm not saying it's wrong i just i have more questions if it is <laughs> you have caused me to ask questions yes yeah. well yeah yeah he says i'm assuming there's a kind of hierarchy of knowledge in the book and that the megatherians know more than any humans but far less than the herodules perhaps they know there is an important severian in this when and where and are running down any leads in their investigation. Hmm. As to their motivations, he says, I guess I'm a bit basic, but I always assumed they're in opposition to the Rajalis, and they want the opposite outcome. The Rajalis benefit from the spiritual advancement of man and throwing off of material reality in the form of the green man. The, the Megas want nothing more than to retard that growth and debase man to the point of being a little more than a crude matter that they can manipulate and shape as they see mm -hmm. fit. Yeah. Um, it says on the question of whether Vodalus knew about Severian and Thecla's connection when they meet later, he thinks Vodalus, quote, would likely have forgotten Thecla's trip by that point, only Severian, with his perfect recall, can transform the analeptic Alzabo from 
a hit of space acid, a, a cannibal orgy into the foundation of a love story and catalyst yeah. for spiritual development. And I totally agree with that. And if in the long run, only Severian can really retain a lot of factual detail about that, then by the time, yeah, Vodala sees him again, it's it's just kind of some vague, trippy memories. Yeah. Also, let's see, we got an email from Ryan Kent. He says, hey, good evening. First off, let me apologize for bringing up Shadow while you guys are deep into Claw. I only <laughs> recently discovered you and have not caught completely up. Second, I apologize if my ideas seem disjointed, not very clear. I'm sure it sounds much better and more profound in my head. Well, in the first place, don't apologize for bringing up Shadow because, you know, that's the whole nature. We haven't answered every question about Shadow, so giving us a chance to reconsider it is a blessing. And uh, yeah, well, I, I actually, after I get done editing these things, I always sound better than I ended up sounding in my head. <laughs> so I'm sure it'll be the same for you. Uh, he says, so you guys talking about Severian's dual nature of both savior and destroyer got me thinking about the meaning of the title, the shadow of the torturer. The shadows as mirrors of their originator is a concept played with at least twice. Kybits right? Shadow women mm -hmm. being lesser clones of the exultants and light being the shadow of God. Looking forward to Citadel, Severian has the revelation on the beach that everything is holy because it all ultimately traces back to God. This, to my utterly lay person and non-church-going brain, brings up my understanding of Augustinian theodicy and how evil serves to contrast good and thus ultimately serve a higher purpose. The shadow defines the light, the light, the shadow. Severian will save the world by dooming it. Or is he doing it by saving it? What is evil to one may be good to another. So then the shadow of the torturer is the light that creates it, the shadow of God. Uh, that, yeah, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's a very Aramenian interpretation as well. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, but he love that. And that evil serves good is not just Augustinian. It goes back to the Torah. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, which put him in a position to save his family from famine as his brothers cowered in front of him, uh, fearing retribution. He told them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And in the summary of Shadow of the Torturer, as everyone knows, we took up the question without resolution of whether or not Severian is a good guy. So you can check that out again. Thanks, Ryan. And we were very conflicted and contradictory about our <laughs> Yeah, we took, I think we adopted both sides, both of us at different points. Yeah. But I think we agreed that that problem was, was the point in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Right. On Instagram, Jonathan Etringer. Has some theories about the exaltants. He says, here's my big theory. The solar cycle is Lamarckian, and the exaltant stature is developed through many generations living in low or no gravity and growing accordingly. Uh, see Jonas's comment about the exaltant families being the newest. So he proposes that they've gone to space for generations and eons and returned to Earth to live like lords among the technologically regressed natives. So, you know, I thought the Lamarckian idea was intriguing, Craig. I mean, mm -hmm. he's referencing Wolf's mention of Lamarckianism in his interview with James Jordan. And we know that Wolf has been into Lamarck for a long time. He talks about him right. in multiple places. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
But, you know, this goes back to our conversation we had about the Kaibets when Severian goes to House Azure. Why then are the Kaibets, who are clones, not as tall as the Exultants? The Autark tells Severian in the flyer that the Kaibets are clones and they have to give regular blood donations. But Jonathan has an interesting take on that. I think he's thinking about the Exultants being on a generation ship, like the one in the Book of the Long Sun. Mm-hmm. He says, my theory is a split lineage on a generation ship, a group of people, the the inner circle families, alive and perpetuating themselves via consecutive clonings and a cache of their own cloned embryos in storage. One group could grow long over consecutive iterations in low gravity because of Lamarckianism, and while the stored copies retain their original pre-launch characteristics. So that's the Lamarckian angle right there. The mm-hmm. Kybits would then be taken from or descended from the cash line, while the exultant is descended from the living, iterating crew of the ship. Well, you know, that still works, I think. Jonathan, I think, would like to integrate Lamarckianism more deeply into the text, and his model there does that. And honestly, with that line from Jonas when he talks about them being new, mm-hmm. that to me seems totally ammunition for that idea. It's one of those things that Jonah says that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Like we, it's suggestive of a lot of things, but that seems to connect really well. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sitting here thinking like, if you want to come up with some grand super theory that the, the, <laughs> the world went back in time somehow and blew an earth and all the short sun stuff is actually happening before <laughs> yeah. earth. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We have a new master patron. Aaron Pixarelli. Who can have your picture of the girls? Thank you so much. Yes, we very much appreciate it. So cool that we're still adding people on. Yeah, it means so much. I mean, you guys have no idea that uh, we're surprised that you listen, let alone that you actually (laughs) put some skin in the game. Thank you very much. Well, Craig, uh, you know, every party has to come to an end, and Severians has, and so we should probably get on our mounts and ride. Probably so, and get away from this feast. That's right. I'm, I'm happy to move beyond. <laughs> I don't know. I'll pack a lunch. <laughs> Chapter 12, The Notules. All right. It's the morning after Severian's second feast in this novel. The first. That's true. That's true. I hadn't thought about that parallel, but you're right. Yeah. In fact, it happened on the same chapter of, mm-hmm. of this book as in The Shadow of the Torturer. Yep. Ian Smith. Aye, aye, Mr. Smith. Sees the structural parallels as being very important. And I definitely think that there's meaning in that too. Even if I don't necessarily always agree on what it means, now Severian is two people in one, two separate sets of memories. And in some cases, the same memory from different angles. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he will be for the rest of the novel. Severian credits uh, the Thecla he knew, the Thecla he remembers, and the Thecla inside him for the degree that anyone's ever thought of him as an educated man. And it is interesting, Dorcas never acknowledges the change when she sees him again, as far right. as I know, but to keep her eye out for that. Yeah, somebody somewhere, I remember, mentioned that maybe that's the reason Dorcas sours on him mm. as time goes on. And maybe, I mean, but she never 
brings that up. Like it always seems to me pretty clear that Dorcas is more just realizing what's going on with her. Yeah. She's going through her own thing. She probably can't even doesn't not really paying attention too much. Maybe not. Yeah. It's 48 hours now since this volume started. And if Severian left the tower on Sunday afternoon, this is the following Sunday morning or Monday morning at the most. Severian has had a pretty transformative week. (laughs) Think of all we've covered over the last year and a half since Severian left the tower. That's a week for Severian. Mm -hmm. Yep. So all night he dreamed of Thecla or perhaps dreamed of being Thecla and suddenly he wakes. They wake. It's morning. So Severian was dreaming that he and Thecla were walking silently through the paradise of the new sun. Apparently in the new sun religion, as Severian records it, quote, the paradise, the new sun is said to open to all who in their final moments before death call upon him. And though the wise teach that it is closed to those who are their own executioners, that is, kill themselves. Yet I cannot but think that he who forgives so much must sometimes forgive that as well. And of course, it makes sense that he's thinking that here because he's got Thecla, who technically killed herself. But, you know, there's a lot of wiggle room for whether or not she actually did or whether she was kind of forced to do it yeah, well but, yeah she so. may have her body may have just been trying, trying to kill herself mm-hmm. yeah. yeah also you know i was thinking that in the last chapter when severian is saying how thecla knew that she was dead and that she had been recreated in his mind and she was okay with that that could be just an effect of the alzabo right because that's exactly the way people are when they've been eaten by alzabo they're they know that yeah. they're dead they know they're inside the Alzabo and they're fine with that. Yeah. And also, I think this is the first time that the new sun is explicitly referred to as a person. We've talked about the new sun coming and about the conciliator who left the claw. This is the first inkling that those two people are the same. Right. Officially, I think so. So because we we know that the conciliator has been talked about as a man, mm-hmm. like uh, Asia actually talks about him that way. But the new sun religion has never made that sort of anthropomorphic thing. Like the sun, new sun has always been either talked about as like a God or as just the new, the coming of the actual physical new sun. Right. So yeah, now we get them all tied up a bit more, which I think for a lot of people may feel more natural just because of the way I think a lot of ways that where people are familiar or just kind of expect Christian symbolism Mm -hmm. to mix uh, you know, physical things with, or the, to use the symbols in that way. But, um, yeah, it is kind of unique. And when you pointed it out, I was like, oh, you're right. This is the first time that the new sun is actually figured as something separate, which makes me wonder if there's any reason to think about in the theology of this as the new sun and the conciliator as maybe, I don't know. I mean, if you're looking for a Trinity, you could have an old son, a new son, and a conciliator. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you really want to. It doesn't quite work that way because no. old son seems more like Old Testament. New son seems like maybe New Testament. I don't know. Yeah. Well, this is a Gnostic world, so that actually does work, right? You have the Old Testament uh, father, and that is the evil Demiurge. And then you have the son, and he, you know, he's overthrowing the Demiurge. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. It could work that way. Well, anyway, suddenly, bang, he's awake. It's morning and it's the 
quote, cold and unwelcome light and the piping of birds. Severian's cloak is soaked with dew and dew is condensed on his face. He sits up and Jonas is starting to stir. And we'll find out that, of course, Jonas is a robot, but he still needs his beauty sleep. Right. One important difference here between him and Talos, apparently. Yeah. That Jonas yeah. actually can and does need sleep. Right. So. And I really think his head and brain are biological. Ten paces away. Well, we are going to find out later he, his face bleeds. Right. right? Exactly. Because he gets scratched when he goes through right. things. Yeah. Ten paces away. Uh, roughly 10 feet, two meters. There are two huge destriers, one the color of white wine. Is that like a blush color? Off-white, pale pink. The other is black, unspotted black. The horses are champing at their bits, stamping their feet with impatience. They are literally champing at the bit. So one thing about the colors is just white wine is such a cool, ambiguous thing to differentiate black from because it's not white, but it's called white, right? Like got, got a little uh, reddish pink to it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it could be pink, right? It could, when he talks about, I mean, he doesn't say rosé or, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like it, it could be, you know, sometimes whitish wine. Yeah. It can be pink or yellow. So, but it's, I don't know what to do with it, but it just seems really interesting to me that he does a, a sort of obvious white and black, but the white is not really pure, right? Like the black is Pretty black, it seems like, um, but the white is off-white. I'm sure Votalist keeps all the white horses just for himself. And now that could well be. Yeah. The participants of the feast, however, are all gone, and so is the platter of roast thecla. He <laughs> says, quote, whom I have never seen again and now no longer hope to see in this existence. The important word there is see, right? He's not going to see her, but he's going to... No, be course, with her, be with her right. constantly. So right, it's exactly that, that seeing thing, which again kind of makes you. It it's not exactly a play or a push on it, but it is sort of making vision and sort of sensual things seem smaller than some other kind of important essence. Exactly. Yeah. And Terminus Est is on the grass next to Severian, secure in her tough, well-oiled sheath. So yes. don't worry about the dew rusting her. It's something he's still concerned about after <laughs> yeah. all this time. <laughs> He picks it up and he goes downhill until he finds a stream, which is what he was looking for. He euphemistically says, I did what I might to refresh myself. <laughs> when he got back, uh, Jonas was fully awake and Severian directed him to the stream because even though he's half robot, he still needs to drink and who knows what else. Right. At least it seems like he does. Like he, yeah. he at least washes or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Who knows what he does over there? He's... Uh -huh. Possibly a spy of Abaya. So <laughs> you want to read this next section? Yeah. And while he was gone, I made my farewell to dead Thecla. Yet some part of her is with me still. At times, I, who remember, am not Severian, but Thecla, as though my mind were a picture framed behind glass, and Thecla stands before that glass and is reflected in it. Two, ever since that night, when I think of her without thinking also of a particular time and place, the Thecla who rises in my imagination stands before a mirror in a shimmering gown of frost white that scarcely covers her breasts, but falls in ever-changing cascades below her waist. I see her poised for a moment there. Both hands reach up to touch our face. Then she's whirled away in a room whose walls and ceiling and floor are all of mirrors. No doubt it is her own memory of her image in those mirrors that I see, but after a step or two, she vanishes into the dark, and I see her no more. 
Yeah. So a couple things too about that passage is first of all, again, I don't want to make too much of it, but he does see her in pure white, like like he's sort of specifically called up something that's not quite right with the horse. But then when he remembers her, he talks about how he thinks of her as this pure white thing. So that Mm -hmm. kind of feels a little bit like idealization or something. I don't know. But then there's also the fact that he specifically talks about seeing her in his mind again, after saying specifically, he never <laughs> saw her again. Right. Which when you know the context, or never hope to see her, or never hope yeah, to no. see her again, but then does. And even when he talks about seeing her, it's like, I, but then I didn't really see her. What I saw was a memory of her seeing herself in the mirror. Yeah. Right. So it's all these, these things that are both really intense, but also really separated from him. And it's really cool. I mean, it's this really weird really awesome way that he's able to talk about this kind of intense intimacy and closeness, but also make it feel really far away. And it's again, mirrors are super important for all kinds of reasons. And we've been talking about Borges and how mirrors actually are kind of a scary thing in certain contexts because they kind of proliferate images rather than actually show you your true self or something like that. Yeah. But, or maybe they, double the entire world, right? Or they, because right. perception is reality. Right. So they, it, it's again, that thing that, that has both of these things working on it at the same time, right? Like, which it's kind of like, how do you feel about that, that image of remembering her seeing herself in the mirror? Is that more, in some ways that's more intensely personal because you're remembering how she saw herself in private moments. Um, but it's also different because it means that you're not really seeing her. You're seeing a memory of her, seeing a reflection of, you know. So um, so I think it's cool that it has both of those yeah. ways of going at it at the same time, which is, I think, perfect for the kind of experience of her that Severian has, which is, again, in some ways, I and I've said this before, I actually think that certain other things that happen later in the way he talks about it, I feel like. Thecla really is resurrected in some sense in his mind. Like Mm -hmm. that it's not that he can have her memories. I feel like she actually has some kind of agency or life in some form or another inside of him. Well, yeah, Um, because when Severian reveals that he felt like he could have saved her. Yeah. She's outraged. She's horrified. And the whole time that Severian is, is close by the, the autark, he's on his guard from Thecla. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, but then there's also the fact, especially once we learn about the Alzabo, that it may not be her, right? It may be something else. And I, I know you weren't saying that, but I don't think that it's really a contradiction when he says, you know, I'll never see her again in this mm-hmm. life because he means, he means physically. Oh, yeah. He means see her again the way he saw her on a platter the right. night before. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I would never want to see her again that way either. Severian doesn't explicitly say so, but he must have broken down at least a bit waiting for Jonas. But by the time he returned, Severian says he had mastered my grief and was able to make a show of examining our mounts. Uh, Jonas says, naturally, you get the black, Severian, and I get the cream. He says, both of them look like they outvalue either of us, though, as the sailor told the surgeon who took off his legs. And then where are we going? (laughs) So it's a cool sailorism there. And I stopped this time and tried to figure it out. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) like the, it could just be a joke, right? Like the sailor, right. Joking that his legs are worth more than the surgeon and worth more than the sailor. Mm -hmm. And then you think about that and you're like, okay, maybe it would make sense for the sailor because without his legs, he's not going to be 
able to do his job or something like that. Um, but why for the surgeon? I mean, it, again, it's supposed to be a joke, right? Yeah. But put that then in the context of Jonas, where the surgeon might not mean necessarily physical surgeon and maybe certain parts really are worth something. I don't know. I was sitting there mm. trying to, I, I stopped and I was like, how can I make sense of this with Jonas himself <laughs> literally being, having parts in different ways. And I don't know, I can't do anything else, but think that maybe this is just some kind of very, very lateral thinking foreshadowing of us figuring out what. Right. <laughs> what yeah, it could be. Yeah. 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 He could, you know, those, those Android legs don't come, ch- yeah. come cheap. So. Yeah. Well, in answer to that, Severian tells him to house absolute. And Jonas looks incredulous. After all, they just feasted with the rebels, and now they're going to the Autarch's house. Severian asks if Jonas overheard his conversation with Bodilus last night. And Jonas says, I caught the name, but not that we were going to go there. So Jonas might have good hearing, but it's not super robot hearing, as mm-hmm. I speculated in the last episode. Even though Severian had no training on Destriers and we've never seen him on any horse until, you know, the night before last, and he admits he's, quote, no rider, he puts his foot on the back of the animal's stirrup and gets on. The Destrier that Severian stole from Vodalus the other night, and here Severian flatly states that it was Vodalus's ride, that one had a lofty war saddle, quote, fiendishly uncomfortable but very difficult to fall out of. The saddle on this one is pretty basic. It's almost flat, and it's made of padded velvet. It feels luxurious, and it is treacherous. (laughs) Comfortable, but it's not for fast riding. Whatever fast riding is for a Destrier, it's probably pretty fast. As soon as Severian is on the Destrier, it, quote, dances with eagerness. Severian thinks this is not a great time for a potentially uncomfortable conversation, but this is the only time for it. And he asks Jonas, how much does he remember of his merging with Thecla? Jonah comes close to Severian on his mouth and replies that he doesn't remember anything because he didn't eat anything. He drank the potion, but after that, everyone was too stoned to pay attention to him. Mm-hmm. Vodalus's attention was on Severian, and he reveals at last that, quote, I have learned the art of appearing to eat without actually doing it. As Severian thinks this is a peculiar skill to perfect. <laughs> but he tells Severian that he's pretended to eat with him several times already. He says, I don't have much of an appetite, and I find it's socially useful. I only eat to be social. Yeah. So not a social drinker, but a social eater, apparently. Yeah. So it's weird, right? So we've talked about this in the past and mentioned it. The difference with Jonas and Talus, though, is that Jonas does actually drink. With Talus, I don't know that he does actually eat or drink anything. Like, does he, he talks about not needing to really so much, but I've always wondered if there's a difference. Like, is Talus just kind of unable to eat or drink? Whereas we never see him. He, I think he really, I think Talus really does just pretend to eat. I see, I see Talus as like a stuffed sentient doll. Yeah. That's kind of, I think of him more as like a pure, pure artificial thing too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jonas though, we know he has biological parts, so he, he's got to replenish that somehow. Um, right. Now, I I don't want to even begin to speculate on, you know, 
how you could do that if you don't have a digestive system connected to your <laughs> mouth or something. I, I don't know. There's a but, bag in there that goes out. Yeah. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Um, I don't, you'd have to just really postulate all kinds right. of, of technology that includes robots being merged with human right. parts and designed right. to merge with human parts. Yeah. And I know, I know there are so many people out there who want to talk about Wolf as a kind of hard sci-fi guy who, Oh no, I'm sure he figured this out in the back. I, eh, I, don't, know. I, don't, know. I don't know. But the thing, the reason it's important for Jonas, I think is because he does drink the Alzabo. Right. Right. And for it to affect him, there's got to be enough of a biological something there to do it. And the reason I think that's important is because of the breakdown he eventually has and I've started to wonder, like, is there something about the Alzabo that does affect him that maybe the full effects don't don't come out until later? But if he is able actually to drink the drug, then he still had that hallucinogenic whatever. And the real reason I think I mentioned this last time, but if he is two different parts, like if he's one human person and one um, mechanical mechanical person then is it possible that the Alzabo made his parts sort of communicate with each other and remember <laughs> each other, you know, but I mean, literally, cause that's kind of what happens with, with Thecla in Severian, right? So, sure. but he, I, I find it hard to believe because he doesn't really have his revelation right. until he gets until to an antechamber. Right. Right. So I, that's why I said, I, I don't know. It seems like he would be totally freaking out right now. <laughs> At this point, he seems pretty calm yeah. and collected. Seems so for the rest yeah. of the chapter. Yeah, maybe his human brain was uh, addled a little bit, but his his you know his robot brain was just fine. Yeah. Anyway, that's the only reason I think it it would be worthwhile to think a little bit about whether or not Jonas actually can eat or drink, um, because he does. We see him seem to take a drink, right? And right. And Severian describes him as taking a swallow. Yeah, we don't know but, if he's if he's faking it, right. but it does seem plausible that he has to eat something. From time to time. Yeah. Yep. I agree. And so, yeah, he says, I, I, I only eat to be social. And then he changes the subject. Like he just mentioned that, you know, he didn't put on deodorant this morning. I happen <laughs> to know the way to the house absolute most of the way. You want to tell me why we're going? Uh, like, uh, slow down, Jonas. You only eat to be social. How many meals did I just buy for the two of us? <laughs> and secondly... Why do you know the way to House Absolute? Right. And this brings up the mystery of what Jonas ostensibly does for a living. Mm -hmm. Is he a trader? He doesn't seem to have wares to trade or sell. Where was he going before he met Severian and Jolenta? Is he a spy for Asia or Abaya? If he is, he doesn't seem to have much traffic with their other allies and servants like the Votelari. We know he was an interstellar sailor and was lost in time between the stars. So his allegiance from before that are probably out of date. But what has he been doing since he got back? And he's been back, we're going to find out, for a really long time. He yep. knows the way to House Absolute, but he's never been there because he's going to have an eye-opening experience when he gets to the antechamber, as we said. Maybe, unless he actually has been there before and just didn't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see for, that from yeah. his directions. He doesn't know exactly where it is, but right. he knows roughly what the direction to walk and how right. far it is. Right. And we're going to, they they talk about some details in a, in a little bit, but yeah, he talks about being on his Mary Kip, 
right? So he right. was apparently he's been this way recently. If that was actually the same donkey mm-hmm. or whatever, um, you know, it could be, couldn't, maybe not. Um, I don't know, yeah, but he may, but, he may prefer Americap to right, get around. Right. Yeah. Um, the other thing too is that this is sort of a fun wolf thing because usually Wolf will do like a half explanation of something and then like something will interrupt someone instead the interruption here is almost like another big question which he doesn't usually do (laughs) it's usually like one thing that almost explains something and then we just you know a non sequitur comes through but here (laughs) we've got two things that are definitely weird and so it's almost like underlining some stuff for jonas at this point yeah and as for why they're going to house absolute he says dorcas and jolenta will be there and then in a louder voice i suppose and I have to do an errand for our liege, Vodalus, <laughs> on the chance that someone was still secretly watching them. He doesn't mention that he has no intention of performing that errand. Right. As soon as he was required to participate in a cannibal ritual, Severian seems to have been out as far as a follower of Vodalus. And this, Craig, is strange to me because he always knew Vodalus was a cannibal. And also because Severian has in no way, in no way regrets participating in that ritual. But he very much seems to resent everyone else who participated. Uh, his conversion from Vodalus fanboy to Vodalus hostile seems to have been immediate. And as far as we can tell, Thecla inside of him does not oppose this move. She might even be backing it. It's a weird transformation, and I'm not sure I can explain it. And Severian, who drones on and on about all the minutiae of the world, passes over this change without an explanation. And then he summarizes the next four days of travel. Yeah, so let's take a second to think about, like, what are some possibilities for things that have changed here about why he would do it? I mean, maybe he is, like, just horrified by the idea of cannibalism and except for the fact that it happened to be Thecla. And so Mm -hmm. he's like, I can excuse it in this case for me because of my relationship (laughs) with her, but I'm still horrified at the thought for anyone else under any condition. And so I don't like Bodilus. Like, that could be. I also wonder if instead there's something that he realized about Vodalus, like all those sort of things that we were talking about, like, um, you know, Vodalus wanting to go back to the stars and and Vodalus kind of shrugging him off in certain ways and Vodalus not really recognizing him. Like it could have been all those things that we were noting were things that makes Vodalus come down to earth a little bit. Could be that Severian was noticing those too. Could also be the fact that he's immediately sending him on an errand that even though Severian doesn't know what he's going to send him for, um, or the fact that he was being watched and followed in certain ways, that something about that bothers him. Um, There's a lot of possibilities there for what was going on that made Severian kind of lose his faith in Vodalus. Um, If that's what actually has happened here, like he does say he's not going to follow, carry through with this specific mission necessarily, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't totally turn on Vodalus necessarily yet. Well, he he kind of feels Mm -hmm. like he has to. He sees himself as a prisoner. They could kill him. Right. And maybe he was really changing, you know, quietly without realizing it or saying so, but he really don't notice anything until the moment he vomits into the stream yeah and no i don't either i don't really know anything specific about when 
I mean, it would be easy to mark this as the time when when Severian turns away from Vodalus, but I'm I'm I don't know. I mean, it's this is a weird one to me where I think it's still me not really knowing enough about Severian and Vodalus and their relationship or what Severian really thought he saw in Vodalus. Was it just sort of the like heroic rebel that he thought was cool and that's it? Or did he see something deeper in him that he just doesn't quite explain to us? But that's still one thing that I'm open to explanations that fill in some gaps because I'm, yeah, I'm still a bit fuzzy on why he turns on. Well, there is a for Severian uh, explanation that his allegiance to Volus was unnatural and was only prompted by his memory of the first Severian's devotion mm-hmm. to Vodalus. But what happened with the first Severian that it no longer you know, held him to his allegiance to Vodalus after this moment? Why not still? Yeah. And I don't know. Um, yeah. It's a strange move. And so I'm curious if anybody else has a good idea for exactly what it is that turns him. Like if it, it, it honestly, the biggest thing is the cannibalism, right? Like that could be the one big thing mm-hmm. that he's like, oh, these people are messed up, you know, and it just so happens that it's Thecla. And so that's why he's okay with doing it for himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the feeling he goes through. Yeah. Right. Like as he still he's sitting there him. thinking. He still resents yeah. everyone yeah. who forced him to do it. Yeah. Right. Maybe it's something even again, specific to Thecla. Maybe it's the yeah. fact that he, that they desecrated Thecla not just by eating her, but also by having that kind of personal experience mm, of her. Yeah. And it's because she's so special to him that he resents these other people treating her that way. I mean, it could be that too. Could well, be they were very, very um, objectifying and derogatory oh, yeah. toward the potential feast yeah. coming up. Yeah, that's true. Which that the only reason I feel like that's not as satisfying is it's, it just feels very personal. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, you're, you need some kind of nice, big idealistic reason to do it. Very, and to turn on him. But maybe, maybe it is something very, very well, I mean, like he cut off yeah. three men's heads at a lark. So yeah. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. <laughs> and then Severian summarizes the next four days of travel. Here, lest this account of my career run forever, I must pass very quickly over the events of several days. As we rode, I told Jonas all that Vodalus had told me, and much more. We halted at villages and towns as we found them, and where we halted, I practiced such of my craft as was in demand, not because the money I earned was strictly necessary to us, for we had purses the Chatelaine Thea had given us, much of my fee from Saltus, and the money Jonas had obtained for the Manape's gold, but in order to allay suspicion. Our fourth morning found us still pressing northward. So this is the longest stretch of time summarized since Severian left the tower. We know he was held in a tower after Thecla's death for a week and a half, 11 days. But since then, it's been blow by blow for 31 chapters. Mm -hmm. How many days elapsed is not 100% certain. He says the fourth morning, I think, This includes the morning that started this chapter. So that means that this is the morning of the third day since they left Vodalus's camp. If Severian left the tower on Sunday afternoon, that would have been Sunday or Monday morning when they left. And that would make this Wednesday or Thursday morning. But it could mean that it was four mornings after they left Vodalus. So it could be as late as Friday morning. 
I think it's the morning of the 10th day since he left the tower, but it could conceivably be the morning of the 12th day. So one thing to remember here, and I mentioned this before, is that Severian is also reminding you here, hey, don't forget, I was killing and torturing people all the time while we were wandering around. And I'm not going to mention, you know, just like he said at the beginning of the book, I do this many, many times, but I'm not going to narrate it every single time for you. Okay, so here's another time where he reminds you, by the way, I am killing and maiming all the time and getting paid for it. So, you know, just keep that in the back of your head when when we're thinking about who Severian is, right? Right. Um, But also then, he says that he did it not because they needed the money, but because they wanted to allay suspicion. And who do you think he was trying to allay suspicion? I have suspicion no from? idea. I, that's a good okay, good. So it's 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 weird, right? Like it, it would make sense that he's like, I didn't want Vodalus to think I was him, but no, because it's like Vodalus sent him to the House Absolute, so it seems like he'd want him to get there pretty directly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, why would you be suspicious by? just keeping on walking. I don't know that it's just a weird thing to me, which I guess it could make sense as like, I didn't want to stand out as a weird traveler. And so I could just put myself off as sort of a traveling tradesman who goes to every town and does this, but. Well, also the, when he arrives in Nessus, the living part of the night after he left the tower, he does get some bad attention from the local police. And they tell mm-hmm. me, oh, you need to cover up your clothes. So maybe that's the why he doesn't. Yeah. Because if he's working, then he can look like a Carnifex. Yeah. But if he's not, then he needs to, you know, keep it on the down low. Yeah. And that is true. He is he is still going around shirtless and wearing foliage. And so he is still presenting himself as a member of his guild. So yeah, that could be. Yeah. And they're camped by the guile and they've been traveling north. There's a little aisle nearby in the middle of the river. We're going to get some indication that they are right now traveling through the lofty forest around Saltus at this time. Now, once again, if there's a reason to believe that they've been on the road for four full days instead of three, it's because Severian says he took jobs along the way jobs to allay suspicion because they don't need the money once again. But still, unless they are literally taking every job that comes their way, I think they must have taken maybe two jobs and that would be enough to allay suspicion. Not that I see why that's necessary again, but you know, this is the dictatorship. Maybe Mm -hmm. this suggests that they live in a police state like Tsarist Russia or something where (laughs) there's spies from the state everywhere. And as they ride, Severian tells Jonas everything Vodalus told him and, quote, much more. I don't know if this means about life at the Citadel or about life growing up in House Absolute, but it does imply Severian is doing all the talking. Guile sunned itself to our right like a sluggish dragon guarding the forbidden road that returned to grass upon its bank. The day before, we'd seen Ulans on patrol. Men mounted much as we were and bearing lances like those that had killed the travelers at the piteous gate. Ah, those that had killed the travelers at piteous gate. And that Mm -hmm. reminds us of the debate that happened at piteous gate at the end of the last volume. The Ulans killed travelers, but this does not provide us any context for why they killed them. We are forced to apply our theories to that event. We did all that months ago. Right. (laughs) We even pulled this passage out and talked That's about right. it. That's right. Jonas has been, quote, ill at ease since they set out for the House Absolute, whether that's because, you know, he's not totally sure 
about how to get there or because he's worried about the Praetorians when he gets there or because he's a spy for Abaya. I'm not sure. Jonas knows enough about the way to the House Absolute to say that they're sort of approaching House Absolute. He's not considering how to enter it at this time. He knows roughly where House Absolute is because at one time he was two days from where they are right now, here in sight of this little isle. And some pilgrims back then, when he was two days away from here, told him the House Absolute was nearby this isle. So when he was two days from this isle, some pilgrims told him that House Absolute was nearby, which means right now they are two days away. Also, those pilgrims warned him of the Praetorians, quote, and seemed to know what they were talking about. Severian points out that although Jonas was two days away from this point, when he was close to House Absolute, he was walking. And Jonas corrects him that no, no, he was on his Merikip the one that got left by an insultus. And these destriers move faster than his merit, but he's not sure they go twice as fast. As far as distance goes, Severian walked from the citadel to the inn, the living parts of Nessus, by walking maybe 14 hours. The uh, Onager ride took them briskly to the Cathedral of the Claw. And then it was a short walk, under an hour, to the Botanic Gardens, and then they walked to supper within walking distance of the Hall of Justice. Given the walk to the play and the walk to the Piteous Gate, now they've been riding destriers, and the House Absolute is four or five days' journey. I think House Absolute is quite a bit further north of Nessus than the maps usually apply, including the quasi-canonical map in planet engineering. That's what I'm guessing. It just seems like they must be covering a lot more distance than Severian has ever covered before in one go. Yeah. They weren't told by Votilus when the Thiasis would be held, but Severian figures that Votilus wouldn't have sent them to his, from his camp if it weren't close enough to get them there in time. And Severian is just about to say that when Nachuals! <laughs> There's been a lot of speculation about this name for the mirror critters. I don't think we're going to break new ground, but you know, we can tabulate what is known. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's see, the word Nachuli, Nachula, is not an English word. On the Earthless, Sean Whalen reported that it's French for a note or a page. So it does look like that. Nachula is Italian for a bill like in a restaurant. And these words in both languages come from the same Latin word. So these creatures look like slips of paper, case closed. But I, you know, I I don't know. It seems a little on the nose for Wolf. (laughs) And in fact, there is more. It's also a pun. As Robert Borsky noted, a noctula is a European term for a bat. It's derived from the Latin word Noctua for little owl. And there's also going to be a character, Noctua, in the tale of the student and his son, but I don't think the concepts are related. I think Noctua's name comes from another source, but we'll get to that when we, well, get to that. (laughs) The point is that they are like slips of paper, pages, Noctula. And they are also like bats, Noctula. 
it, you know, it could only be more perfect if there were a Nachula in Borges' Book of Imaginary Beings, which there is not. Yeah. yeah. And Sean Whalen, again on the Earth list, also discovered that Natula is the diminutive form of the Greek name for the south wind. Notice. So I guess Natula would be a light breeze from the south. Wolf loved wind mythology and legend. He has the brother East Wind in the fifth head of Cerberus, and East Wind is always an ill wind in the Bible. And it is the only unnamed wind for the for the Greeks. Wolf has a couple of short stories that refer to West Wind. And when the Gene Wolf family had a CB radio, his handle was West Wind. Uh, it's not an amazing stretch that he could have intended that meaning as well. Notice. So I never knew that about his handle. Oh, yeah. yeah. How did you, how did, how did we know? Or In you... his, was it, I can't remember which anthology it is where he, for where the, the uh, story West Wind, he actually mm -hmm. talks about it and mentions that that was his oh, handle. Cool. So that extra bit I like, like all the, <laughs> the bat page stuff is cool, but to add in a little bit about um, the wind name, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And it's sometimes things like when you get to those kinds of things that are connected, maybe I don't usually buy them, but this one, because of all his sort of obsession with the winds, mm -hmm. it does seem like something you would know and love to put that in there as sort of another layer of the pun or words. Yeah. And these look like fluttering scraps. And later Severian says that they look like a hole torn in the universe for it was true fulogen as lightless as my own habit. As far as all the connections that I love the page and the bat. I mean, that seems absolutely right. It's also how he describes them. I mean, they don't fly like birds necessarily. They fly like fluttering paper, <laughs> like fluttering paper, which is kind of what a bat looks like to me at least. Um, but yeah, so that part is perfect. Um, the fulogen, what's kind of, we're going to find out here too, is that they don't just suck up light, but they suck up heat right. too. So, um, you know, a wide spectrum of, <laughs> of various kinds of waves. But no, I think it's a pretty cool way to come up with the name. Right. It's, it's doing a lot of work there for the descriptive side of it. As far as sort of deeper meanings, we'll have to see more about what, what it does here. Right. So Severian is just about to argue that getting to the house absolute in time should not be a problem because Vodalus sent them to link up with Talos at the Thiasis as their alibi. And he wouldn't have done that if he didn't think it was feasible. And if he thought there was any doubt, he'd have at least told them to hurry. And he's about to tell Jonas that, quote, when something that at first seemed a great bat came skimming within a hand's breadth of my head. Mm-hmm. And Jonas knows exactly what it is as soon as he sees it. He shouted words that I could not understand and lashed my desk drear with the ends of his reins. Uh, we know what he said. He said, Nachuals. I wonder, like, was that, is it, is it him yelling the name or did he like in a moment of panic, did he start yelling in Korean or <laughs> oh, did yeah, he start yelling in well, yeah. whatever other language like that? Well, he was on the fortunate cloud, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, but we we just don't know. We don't know either either one. But um, but I think both are reasonable. Yeah, given what we're going to know. So Severian's Destrier takes off, and remember, he doesn't have one of Vodalus's war saddles, so he nearly falls off. But they're both galloping as fast as they can. "Quote: 
I remember shooting between two trees with not a hand's breadth to spare on either side. So this is like the scene with the Beluka there entering camp, and it's possible that they are both Hamlet's Mill astronomic references with Severian passing through the gates of a seasonal sign, but who knows? Hmm. So um, one other thing, though, is that Jonas immediately knows what it is, like without without it hesitation for a second. So this is another example of Jonas having all kinds of knowledge about things that are otherworldly. Right. Like literally different worlds. Yes. Not, not just this one. Yeah, he knows. Although Severian still doesn't pick up on that till much later. Right. Um, Severian sees them, quote, silhouetted against the sky like a fleck of soot. And, quote, a moment later, it was rattling among the branches behind us. And that fleck of soot is perfect, not only because it's fuliginous, <laughs> fuliginous, but also because it's something that is like burnt up. Right. And we're going to find out that's what these, mm-hmm. these things do is they they absorb as much heat. So right. they're in a sense, they are on fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now they clear the woods at last and ride into a dry gully. It looks like they lost them. But as soon as they emerge from the gully on the other side, they can see it coming out of the woods more ragged than ever. He says, for the space of a prayer, it seemed to have lost sight of us. So that that thing about it seemed to lose sight and then it being more ragged, like he hasn't cut it here. He's going to cut it in half right. in a second. But it's the um, trees. But some, he's moving through the trees. Yeah, right. it's moving through the trees and it's gotten messed up a little bit. Um, I also wonder if that's a first little sign, if it's one of Heather's things that, you know, he everything that Heather has is kind of raggedy. Yeah. And they have the capability of healing themselves over time. So even if they get raggedy, they can, you know, heal all that raggediness and fly better because when they get raggedy, they don't fly as fast. Yeah. Also, this space of a prayer time thing is like when Severian met Dorcas in chapter 23 of Shadow and said, as long as it takes to say the Angelus. And I don't know what the measure of time by prayers means to Severian. Let's say <laughs> half a minute. The nodule is flying, quote, at an angle to our own path. I guess that means sort of parallel, but away from them. And then it course corrects, quote, swooping toward us again in a long flat glide. Severian, Conan, has the answer. He pulls his sword, stops his destrier between Jonas and the nodule. Severian, chop! And the nodules actually move faster than their destriers, but it doesn't seem to use strategy. So Severian says that if Termas S had only had a point, he could have spitted it, run it through. He actually thinks that would have worked, and it might, I guess. But he chops it instead. And at first, he thinks it's far too light and tough to chop that way. But it actually splits like, you know, like cloth. And as it splits, Severian can feel, quote, a brief sensation of warmth as though the door of an oven had been opened and then soundlessly shut. And he was going to get off his black mount and take a look at it. But Jonas is yelling at him and waving. So, They're out of the forest by a long way, and they've entered a region of broken country of steep hills and ragged cedars. It seems to me they've moved to a higher elevation, and this is like the despoil of a past glacier. Mm -hmm. They're ascending an incline, and there's a grove of those ragged cedars at the top. Severian doesn't realize the danger. He's just following Jonas, and they plunge into the grove's tangled growth like madmen flattened against the necks of our mounts. 
I mean, that's a picture you can really pick up. They're, they're just mm-hmm. laying flat on their animals and going through the branches. Eventually, the trees are so thick, the destrios can only walk. And then they get to a sheer cliff and they have to stop. And now, Severian can hear something behind them. A dry rustling as though a wounded bird were fluttering among the treetops. Severian mm-hmm. also says, quote, the medicinal fragrance of the cedars oppressed my lungs, which even in this situation seems a bit overdramatic. Yeah, I was even wondering because like I grew up around tons of cedars in North Texas and like they're, they smell And great. they do oppress you, but not your lungs <laughs> in that way. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I actually, I thought they smelled good, but okay. <laughs> and here's something interesting. Severian notes that while they were going through the cedars, as you predicted, Jonas's cheek was slashed by a branch and there's a trickle of blood running from it. Mm-hmm. Jonas says, we have to get out of here, at least keep moving. They can't go forward because of the cliff. So Jonas looks left and right and chooses to head right toward the river. So they were running north from the notch wall this time. He whips his destrier to force it through a impenetrable thicket. Severian lets Jonas take the lead, playing to be the defense if the notch wall catches up. He probably figures he can kill it like he did the other one. And he probably assumes this is a new one. And then he sees it, quote, through the gray green foliage And then he sees another just a bit behind it. Now they're out of the cedar grove and they're in a full gallop again with the fluttering scraps of light behind them. But these are smaller than the one he saw before. Their smaller size made them appear swifter. They were slower than the single large entity had been. And this is a hint, I think, of Severian, the author, knowing what they are now, despite Severian in the story not understanding it. Yeah. Jonas says, we have to find a fire or a big animal we can kill. If you slash the belly of one of these beasts, that would probably do it. But if it didn't work, then we wouldn't get away. In a little bit, Severian will ask if these bat animals are bloodsuckers. And Jonas says, no, heat, like you said. And of course, growing up, as I did watching Star Wars, you have to think about tauntauns at that moment <laughs> where, you you know, tauntauns keep you warm. Yeah. If you cut their bellies open, but okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the other thing is that when Jonas says heat, he doesn't mean any heat. Next chapter, Jonas will explain that the nodules prefer life's heat, even though they can sometimes be distracted by a fire of living vegetable matter. So he says it's something more than caloric heat that they want. Maybe, quote, some radiant energy characteristic of growing cells. So you can't just run a gas stove with a bug zapper cage and kill them that way. <laughs> yeah. And the end of this chapter, I think, shows that actually happened. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get there. Right. Now. And as we'll learn, you know, in the next chapter, when you chop a nodule in half, it's more dangerous because it loses heat and it's hungrier. They're safe to handle when they've killed something and are glutted with heat. Jonas will tell Severian, you know, yes, but it's sated now. And if you tear it or cut it, it loses energy. It becomes impossible to handle. And he says, a lot of people have died because they found they could cut these animals and they choose to stand their ground doing it until they're just surrounded by too many to fend off. 
They do fly more slowly if you cut them, like I said, in half, though it's not a pointless exercise. It's only a temporary solution. Jonas will explain that, quote, the speed of any flying thing depends on its wing area. If it weren't for the fact that they fly slower when they're smaller, then the, quote, adepts who use the naturals would rip them up before they sent them after people. And adept is, you know, any skilled technician. But we're often used to seeing the word in fantasy genre as a wizard or something. Right. right. And perhaps that's what Severian is imagining, too. And Jonas has obviously seen these before. Next chapter, he's going to tell Severian, quote, we docked once in a port where they're used in ritual murders. And this is the first time he's seen them on Earth or being used for assassinations. And he'll say, quote, I suppose it was inevitable that someone would bring them home. And Severian nods, yep, there's no way I'm killing my destrier. By the way, that one throwaway line is so typical, Wolf, of just, uh, you know, not just any murder, but ritual murders. Right, but yeah. No context, no explanation, just makes you think of all kinds of cool stuff. So. Yeah, but anyway, Severian is starting to wonder if his destrier might collapse from exhaustion anyway. Severian's black horse is getting tired, and Jonas had to slow his own horse to keep from leaving Severian behind. Remember that these are not horses, really. They are used to charge fortifications that are protected with energy weapons. They're really fast. The idea is to close the distance with the enemy in a charge so fast that they can overwhelm the defenses before they can get many shots off. And that's exactly how charges were used in the 19th century before the advent of repeater firearms and machine guns. And commanders in the American Civil War had a major wake-up call when they used those old tactics that they learned in their youth against modern weaponry. And even by World War I, the European commanders had not taken notes from that conflict 50 years earlier, <laughs> which ended up in huge, frightening casualties. The British suffered over 55,000 casualties in a single battle in 1916. It's, you know, it's amazing that they were willing and able to keep on fighting after a loss like yeah. that. I remember how crazy it seemed to me when I realized that there, or learned that there really was cavalry in World War One. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Against German machine guns. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the, the, the Russians were the worst as far as just walking into them. Anyway, it was a different era. But these animals, you know, with their special armor, are Wolf's return to the fighting tactics in a futuristic setting. So when Jonas says that we stopped at a port, Severian is imagining a port along a river or ocean in the Commonwealth or maybe even another country rather than on another planet. And when yep. he says home, he doesn't imagine Jonas means this solar system. So one little thing. So it kind of goes by without a whole lot of notice. But Severian talks about how his destrier is getting really tired, but Jonas still seems to have energy. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is a sort of weird way to point out the difference in weight. Like, yeah, I think Severians so. had to be carrying a full human, whereas, as we find out later on, Jonas weighs very, very little because his metal metal parts are some kind of super light metal. Right. Yeah. So actually, uh, Jonas smacks his destrier with his steel hand, and uh, we're getting close to the big reveal on Jonas. And we're getting more and more conflicting descriptions. He, he rides his destrier off to the right. Severian says that when Jonas hit his destrier, it must have been a good blow because the animal leaped ahead as though stung. And this potentially implies that Jonas can use his hand to deliver an electrified jolt, but we never see him use it as a weapon. Or just something super hard. <laughs> it's just like it was getting yeah. smacked. Smack. Yeah. So they 
they jump a dry stream and, quote, careened, sliding and stumbling down a dusty hillside. Finally, they get to the open, rolling ground where the animals can really run. But the nodules, fluttering rags of black, as Severian calls them, continue to follow them. They're about twice the height in the air as a small tree, and they move like they're blown by the wind, even though they are flying against the wind. Ahead of them, Severian says, The lay of the ground changed as subtly and yet as abruptly as cloth alters at a seam. A sinuous ribbon of green lay as flat as if it had been rolled. And this, I suppose, is the beginning of the grounds of House Absolute. Yep, I think so, too. And I'll be honest, I had never noticed that line any time before, or at least I don't remember <laughs> it because I read it this time. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's House Absolute. That's where it begins right there. We actually have the border. Yeah, we're here. Whereas I'd never remember that. I always thought before it's just like, oh, all of a sudden they were walking on it. It's kind of cool. Right. Severian directs his destrier to that location, slapping it with his sword. The destrier is drenched with sweat and streaked with blood from when they went through the cedar grove. He can hear Jonas shouting warnings behind him, but Severian isn't listening. I guess Jonas is saying, watch out for the Praetorians. And they round a curve and through a break in the trees, he sees, quote, the gleam of the river. He rounds another curve and he sees exactly what he was hoping to see all along. An Ulan, all by himself. Maybe though he, you know, he was only hoping to see another traveler. But Severian says, quote, perhaps I should not tell it, but I lifted my sword to heaven then. And to the diminished son with the worm in his heart, I called his life for mine, new son, by your anger and my hope. So he's going to distract the Nachual with another person, a stranger. Uh, also, we get a little reference to the black hole that's in right. the heart of the sun and is causing it to be diminished. So this is a question, too. Like, when I was reading it this time, like, part of me was trying to make Severian seem not so bad. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was wondering, like, was he hoping for an Ulan because maybe he thought that their beam weapons would start a fire, but I think that's probably way too overthinking it. And it's probably, yeah, just, no, he expects any other person. Yeah. Anyone. To, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, he, he admits that he doesn't think he should tell it because it's a pretty low thing to have deliberately done. And this is another instance of Severian being honest with the reader about himself, despite it not making him look so great. Right. Which is an odd thing. Cause instead of, warning the Ulan and saying, hey, there's this thing yeah. coming after us. He, yeah, immediately decides to trick him. Right. So yeah. definitely, I mean, I guess you can call this self-defense, but it's, this is a, it's in the middle of an action scene. So it's easy when it happens, I think, uh, to feel like, oh yeah, well, he had to do something to save his life, but it's still super calculated. Yeah, right. yeah, like, yeah, no, I mean, he was in, looking for anybody, yeah. anybody. Yeah, which makes me wonder too, why didn't they try the horse? Like even, even Jonah, or yeah, even well, Jonah says- out that if it didn't work, they would be screwed. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, that would be, yeah. that's literally a last ditch effort. If, yeah. if, if Severian's horse had collapsed, it would have made sense, but- Yeah, but this is, I mean, even, and even for Severian to mention it, he's sort of like saying, yeah, this was- this was really low and we know he's going to feel bad about it, right? Like he, mm -hmm. he immediately, as this happens, he's already 
feeling terrible and is willing to kind of give in to his suspicions about the claw and try to use it. Right. So, right. so something about this is, yeah, this, it doesn't paint Severian in a good light at all. And to me, this sounds maybe he wasn't looking for just any traveler. Maybe he had a sense that he was going to run into an Ulan. This is like one of those many moments where he just knows what's coming up. Like when he looks at the picture of the astronaut on the moon and thinks it ought to be, you know, in some forest. Mm. But maybe so, because if he knew that he or felt that he was that close to the edge yeah. of House Absolute, then maybe he might find a guard. Or when he uh, knows that uh, he's going to find Thecla's orders. Right. Maybe this. Maybe that's Thecla, too. Maybe it's Thecla remembering something about the edge of the ground. Oh, yeah, there could know. be. Who know. knows? Yeah, that's true. So when the Ulan sees Severian lifting his sword and shouting an oath, he fears Severian is threatening him. So Severian says, indeed, I was. Mm-hmm. So it's not clear how they arm their lances, but the Ulan gallops towards Severian and the blue radiance at the tip of his lance increased. Severian says, winded though he was, the black destrier swerved for me like a hunted hare, a twitch (laughs) of the reins, and he was sliding and turning his hooves, scarring the green verdure of the road. In no more than a breath, we had reversed our track and we're pounding back toward the things that pursued us. Whether Jonas understood my plan, then I do not know. But he fell in with it as though he did, never slackening his own pace. Jonas has some loyalty, I guess. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> he's trust, thinking... At the very least, trust. Yeah. yeah, he might have been saying, well, you know what? May not be the right thing, but it's the thing to do. So, yeah. uh, let's see. Uh, the verdure of the road. The verdure is lush green plant life. I don't know if the verdure is bordering the road or if the road is made of lush green vegetation. One of the nodules swoops down heading for Jonas, but Severian chops it in half with his sword. And again, he feels a gust of warmth. He says, knowing from where that heat came, it seemed more evil to me than any vile odor could. The mere sensation on my skin made me ill. I reined sharply away from the river, fearing a bolt from the Ulan's lance at any moment. We had no more than left the road when it came, searing the ground and setting a dead tree ablaze. They veer off the road and boom, the Ulan fires his lance. It misses and sets a tree on fire. So I think it is reasonable to assume that the carriage that Severian saw in his dream after the disaster at Piteous Gate was caused by them. They do not have exceptional targeting discipline, though. You know, they just pray and spray. God help you if you get in the way. (laughs) That's what it seems to be. As Severian stops and makes his destrier rear and roar, that's something you can't make a horse do. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) He's looking for the three dark things now. He should have realized by now that chopping them in half doesn't work. He's got three to contend with now, and he's hoping that they'll be attracted to the burning tree, but it's a dead tree that's burning. So there's no chance, but he looks around and they aren't in the sky. They aren't anywhere, but then Severian follows Jonas's eyes to the Ulan. They are all over him. He's trying to defend himself, firing shot after shot at the notchwell that's fluttering around him. And it makes a continual crashing like thunder. With each bolt, the brightness of the sun was washed away, but the very energies with which he sought to destroy them seemed to give them strength. 
To my eyes, they no longer flew, but flickered as beams of darkness might, appearing first in one place, then in another, and always nearer the Ulan, until in less time than I've taken to write all of it, all three were at his face. He tumbled from his saddle, and the lance fell from his hand and went out. Dead Ulan. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> so all the monsters that Heather has for him are really kind of pretty interesting mm -hmm. creatures that, that say a lot about, I feel like the kind of, the kind of hunter that Heather would be, but, uh, but we're going to get a little more information about him in the next chapter. Uh, but for right now, I mean, these are definitely the first real sort of otherworldly creatures that we've really seen, like as far as monsters go apart from, I mean, the ape men, we're still like half men and we've gotten the, the hint of something um, under the ground, but here are the first really literally otherworldly creatures that we've seen, right? Everything up until now has been, except for the sound of whatever, something that still could potentially be earthly, but we've got a, a true sort of either fantasy or sci-fi alien creature here. Right, yeah. Remember that just before they saw these nodules, they were worried that they weren't going to get to the thiasis in time. Yep. So they've just spent all this time running at a fastest gallop they could yep. in order to get to the house absolute. Yeah. They've cleared all that. All that. It's no longer a problem about whether they're going to get there right, on time. Right. That possibly two days on a small horse. Yeah. Happened yeah. In, in a panic time. Here. Right. So. Right. So... We certainly hope that you're going to reach out to us with your ideas and other comments and thoughts and corrections, complaints all about the nodules and maybe some directions and distances of the Commonwealth. And we hope that you will bring them to us on the Facebook group, the subreddit, Twitter, email, or the Patreon site. You can find out how to do all that on the show notes. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your wolf-reading friends. And until you hear from us next... May the Moira favor you. Take care, everybody. Say hi. You want to be on the podcast? Come here. We can, you can be a guest. Come, come say hi. No. <laughs> he came in. He's like, I didn't think you were working. I'm like, I'm not working. I'm not. I'm not. I'm playing. Well, I guess I'm. I guess I could say I'm actually. I am getting paid for this now. That's that's true. Just that's true. Yep. Yep. Oh, gee, hold on. The fireworks are starting up again. Here, I'll give you some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Hmm. 
Okay. So you can work that into your <laughs> rendition. Awesome. You've got some popping on. I don't know. Oh, shoot. And it's even, it's a different microphone. It's got to be something with Zencaster. E like a satanic. Whoa. Something. <laughs> and it gets into. <laughs> why, why right when i start to talk um it's your cheering section yeah i know i we let sam have a bunch of friends over tonight so bunch of teenagers <laughs> down there going nuts um hold on i'm actually i want to make sure i don't contradict myself i'm looking at <laughs> I'm like what, what did i do say? i contradict myself i <laughs> yeah. contradict myself yes 